Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your host, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. What is up, everyone? Dave Brown here, and welcome to Freedom Friday. Freedom Fridays are quick little 5 to 15 minute uh, episodes that feature or focus on a lesson, concept, or message that you can use to carry yourself into the weekend uh, and apply in your own life. And I'm excited uh, because today we have a great lesson from Dr. Sean Stevenson. We had Sean back on the show, uh, that was episode number 33. Uh, and in this installment of Freedom Friday, Sean talks about parenting, the impact of teachers, and how not to focus on what you can't do, but what you can do. Now, here's the incredible Dr. Sean Stevenson. So, it's my pleasure to be here. Good. Thank you so much for, again, for joining us. Well, for those of you who don't know your story, maybe we'll, we'll touch on that before we get into all these other things. You were born with osteogenesis imperfecta, known as brittle bone disease, and um, your parents were told to expect you to die. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So... The challenge with that is I came into this world with doubters. And the beauty of that is I came into this world with doubters to compete against. And, you know, I know that it must have been traumatizing to my parents uh, to have been given the prognosis of my death before you know, within the first few hours of my life. Um, but it's kind of the beginning of a great story uh, that has continued to unfold. And as I tell my audiences, you know, 38 years later, all those doctors that told my parents that they're all dead <laughs> and I'm the only doctor in that room that remains. And, yeah. you know, it's it's been a... It's been a journey. It's not been easy. Uh, There are days where uh, I doubt myself and become my own greatest enemy. So it's it's a daily learning experience. Your parents, uh, I obviously, I read your book, and we're going to touch more on that later. I read this book. I love this book, and I'm going to continue harping on this book because it is one of those books, if I had had years ago when I was thrust into my own turmoil, would have helped me change, change the game significantly before it got ugly on me. But, um, in that book, you speak often of your parents as well. And they sound like such extraordinary people. I say this both as someone who's gone through things and as a parent who's raised children through our own trouble. Um, my husband died when my kids were very young. And so I had to lead them through that. And as a parent who has to help their child struggle with something and overcome something. I have such respect for how your parents addressed your life because they never saw it as anything to be addressed. They just saw it as this is our son and this is, they just saw it as the way it is. And um, you want to share some stories about some things that your parents did to help you as a child, where the, the timers they set for crying, you know, for how long that you were allowed to have your pity parties and, um, some of the things they said to you, the fun things they did with your wheelchair, and what that did for you as a child growing up for your own mindset to to help you decide how you were going to to deal with with what you were dealing with. Yeah, so my parents 
when I was young, they had the mentality of don't focus on what you can't do. Can't start focusing on what you can do. And they also had the mentality that it's okay to feel sorry for yourself, but you can't spend very long doing it. Um, you're not going to be able to be on the basketball team, but if you work hard enough someday, you could own a basketball team. Uh, they built floats around my wheelchair so that I had cool costumes. Like uh, I was a tractor one year. I was a bulldozer <laughs> one year. I was a race car. I was a coffin. I was, uh, you know, they just, the list goes on and on. And, um, you know, there's, there's no doubt that I had a very painful childhood, but it, it's not something I look back on in, in like horror. It's like, you know, we, we dealt with it. We dealt the best we could with it. And, you know, there's, there's something that goes into life uh, when your imprinting years are presented with really good role models. And, uh, you know, I, I became a therapist later in life. And I must say the most heartbreaking thing I have to deal with with my clients is seeing the damage done from parents who were not equipped well to raise children. And of course, I believe in my core that everybody does the best they can with the resources they have. But some people just don't have many resources. And if you grew up and you were neglected and abused, that it doesn't have to hold you down for the rest of your life, but it certainly is going to make your road more challenging than those that do not have that. So what do you tell your clients then who come to you and, and have had that gap in their childhood have, you know, from birth yeah. through their, into their adult life, they're still dealing as an adult with everything that was done to them as a child. Well, to use it, I'm not a religious man. I was raised religious, but to use it, Christianity term, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, uh, to understand this metaphor, but it's like everybody has their own cross to bear, right? And some people, the challenge that they carry is they were raised by parents that were not present or loving or, or prepared to handle children. Some people were born with physical disabilities. Some people were injured later um when they were growing up some people got abused by a teacher or you know we all go through life uh with our own challenges and no one comes out unscathed i've never met a person even those that feel like oh i had a decent childhood if you peel back the layers they had some form of trauma in some way it may not be comparable to other people's traumas but I found that pain is pain is pain. When you're cut from the high school basketball team and you made it your whole life's purpose to make the team, right. that is heartbreaking to the child. If you are beaten as a child by your stepdad, that is heartbreaking. You you can get into this you know, boxing match, if you will, of like, oh, well, this one had it worse. 
But emotions are emotions are emotions. If you don't know anything else, that's the most pain you've ever been exposed to. That was a lot of pain. Um, and the challenge we get into as a society is when we say, well, my pain was worse than yours. Yes. So, so like, is losing a child more painful to a woman than a woman who is sexually assaulted? Is losing a job and not being able to afford your family's, you know, daily income and keeping them around, is that as challenging as coming down with a disease? Like, when we get into that game of which one's worse or I have it worse, we all lose. You know, um, I deal with that a lot and I had dealt with that. I had, I had to learn all of those things the hard way um, in the world of those who are in grief. There's often a lot of comparison. And this is one of the key things that can divide some families whose pain is worse, who's suffering worse. So that is such a, such a strong point that we like to ram home. And I'm so glad you said that because a lot of the people who do message us and reach out to us struggle with that very issue. And you touched upon something I want to just circle back to very quickly about what well, you said teachers, but uh, you know, that was, it was in a different light, but I want to ask you quickly about teachers who came to your house, because I know I have a family of teachers. My husband was also a teacher. My sisters are a teacher, you know, a, a lot. I'm very involved or I know of that, that life. And what is it about a teacher? What is the difference a teacher can make in a child's life? A child who is struggling with all these policies now that are implemented, how teachers are regulated, told they must do this, must do that. Do you think teachers they today, need to carry guns. <laughs> yeah, they need to carry guns, right? Do you think yeah. they would have been able to come to your house? A teacher today would be able to come to a student's house the way that they came to your house, right? And would teach you when, because when you broke a bone, we'll, we'll go back again. When, when you would injure yourself and break a bone, you would have to stay in that same exact spot. So if you were on your kitchen floor and broke a bone, you would have to stay immobilized there for days. Yes. Yeah, about four to six weeks. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. I, <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable uh, how you all came through that. And your teachers would come to the house and teach you right there on the floor. Yeah. What does, mm-hmm. I mean, that's extraordinary. Can you imagine a teacher today doing that or being able, not that they wouldn't even want to, but could they? Well, these teachers came on their own time. Yeah, They didn't come during the school time. So it was out of their own kindness. Um, and, you know, I can't say whether or not they could have done that today because I don't know. Um, but I can tell you that we all look back on our childhood and we can probably remember one, if not a few teachers that just lit us up and had a huge impact. Like, um, you know, you ask most most people, they'll give you at least one name Mm -hmm. that'll be like, wow, that teacher just, they were there for me. They, they, and if you find just through a little investigation, it's not because they had the best lectures. It's not because they were, they gave the easiest homework. It's not because uh, they gave you the best grades. The ones that you remember that had the huge impact were the ones that you felt cared about you personally. Yes. And cared more about your well-being than your education even. And that is the heart of an amazing teacher. You know, my sister is a, is an elementary teacher herself and you know, I, I know that even though I reach millions of people a year through online videos, 
is that the way she's reaching those same, I don't know, couple hundred students in her school, uh, it's, it's just as important. Yes. It's, it's just as important because those children, you know, those kids' lives are, are being formed in the imprinting years. And students oftentimes spend more time with their teachers than their own parents. Yes. And so they're getting constant exposure to these adults. And if they, those adults can pass on really great attitudes and viewpoints and, and teach them about patience and all of those important values through just day-to-day uh, classes – it has a massive impact in that student's life. And looking back on my childhood, you know, I, my disability was very polarizing to my teachers uh, because either the teachers didn't know how to handle it. Cause you got to remember when I was going through school, um, the ADA hadn't been passed yet. The Americans with disabilities act, uh, you know, I was the first kid in my school in a wheelchair ever. Wow. And so they, they didn't know quite how to handle it. You know, mainstreaming wasn't a word. Inclusion wasn't a word uh, back then in, in education. And so when I came into the world and then I went off to school, either teachers were like, we're going to figure it out. We're just going to make it work. And he's a student just like anybody else. And then there were the teachers that freaked out and didn't know how to handle me or didn't want to work with me. Literally, one teacher said to my parents, wouldn't Sean feel better with his own kind? Oh, my and, gosh. And, and they're like, what? <laughs> his own kind. And I don't think that that teacher was some kind of bigot or a mean person. I just think they were uneducated about how to deal with somebody with wow. a disability. I think they didn't have the experience. And so they scared themselves. Wow. That's I can't imagine as a, as a parent, even if a teacher came to me and said that about my kid, and I don't know how. My parents were used to it. I knew they, the, the nurses told my mom, you know, you should dry up your mother's milk because who would want to nurse a child like that? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, your so parents. They, they got used to it. They, and, I guess um, so. Nothing, you know, I still deal with ignorant racism, not racism, ignorant disabilityism, if you will, um, discrimination. And unlike, say, like racism or sexism, where there's a lot of like, like anger and hate there, when people discriminate against somebody with a disability, there's oftentimes, it's often a case of ignorance. It's, it's, they've never been exposed to it. They're uncomfortable. Uh, That doesn't make it right. It's just, if you can learn how to educate people and, you know, when I roll into somebody's life, my mentality is they may never have known somebody three feet tall in a wheelchair. And so it's my responsibility in my view to make the experience enjoyable and also teach them what's important and, and how to interact with somebody with a disability. I feel like I'm an educator myself every day that I, I come into the mainstream world that's not used to somebody with a disability. And that is something that is just repeated in, in every, in, in your interviews and your book, even one of the favorite quotes of yours I found, cause your book, by the way, if somebody ever just wanted to make a calendar of quotes, I mean, just your book, like <laughs> does it, it's full of, but they're genuine too. Um, you say, I'm not in the business of babysitting victims. 
you know, I'm here to teach people how to become victors, something to that effect, right? I love that quote for everything that it says and for your stance on pity being a drug, you know, it's one of the most debilitating drugs. I think if there's one message that you manage to resonate with in people over and over and over again, I think that's the most important message that you have and you convey it in such a way that people are able to grasp it because you don't come at them. This is a gift of yours. You don't come at people with anger or um, self-righteousness or any of that. People don't realize why I don't do that. I don't do that because I'm some morally high evolved being. I I don't do that because that doesn't work. Right. (laughs) But you've taught yourself that you've learned that and you have that discipline and you have that capacity and you're, you, you have found a way to be at peace with that. Um, where it doesn't get you. Yeah. It's a daily process because I think it's easy for somebody to listen to this program right now. On the other end of this microphone, there's somebody listening with headphones or speakers. And they're like, oh, gosh, I'd love to have Sean's view of the world. I'd love to be that confident, that positive, that happy. And what they're not tuning into then is the reality of the fact that I have to practice everything I'm teaching daily. Yes. And that's why I teach it. I tell people, if I didn't do what, I, what I'm doing on this planet, I would be riddled with my insecurities. I would be a complete, anxious, fearful, judgmental, frustrated human. And that's why I teach this is because I need to hear this day in and day out. Day, like even when people quote my own books, I'm like, oh, crap, I needed to hear that this morning. You know, and it's like... <laughs> Just, be, just because you know something intellectually doesn't mean you don't need it conditioned daily. What's up, guys? Dave Brown here again. Hope you enjoyed that Freedom Friday episode with Sean Stevenson. If you want to see the full interview or listen in to the full interview we did with Sean, uh, you can check that out over at americansnippets.com forward slash 033. Again, let us know what you thought about this episode. Leave us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on Spotify and iHeartRadio, and we will see you next week. Take care.